Welcome to Casa de Confidence, a podcast for women and some cool dudes going in the direction of their dreams and the confidence it takes to reach them. I'm your host, Julie DeLuca Collins, and your sidekick, handsome hot husband, that again. I am a dreamer, a traveler, a missionary, and risk taker. I am a lover of books, activist, philanthropist, and most of all, we are supporter of people and their dreams. If you're someone to the casa for the first time, welcome. If you've been here before, we're so glad you're back. Grab your drink of choice, settle in, and make yourself at home. Welcome to Casa de Confidence. My name is Dan Collins, and I am joined by Julie DeLuca Collins. His wife. You're, you're, you're my wife. But more importantly, you're the host of the show. Yes, I'm the talent. You are You are talented <laughs> in many, many ways. Wow, so, they're going to think you're being a little, you know, innuendo-ish. No, they're going to think you have a dirty mind. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, oh, I love this episode. You do? Yes. Why? Because I got to see in here, I got to see because I can see it on the video portion mm-hmm. that we don't actually publish. We should um, publish that. We should do that. But I can hear my New York City girl talking to a fellow New Yorker. I hope you enjoy Julie's conversation today with her guest, Scott Mason, as Julie speaks with Scott in the beginning of this, before the interview even starts, mm. they're speaking, getting to know each other, and it, it's kind of fun. And it's a fun interview, and mm-hmm. I had so much fun speaking to him because yes. he is, well, he's, he's my people. He's really a smart, loving, caring individual. He has a, such an interesting story, but most of all, we bonded over the fact that he is a New Yorker. And we were probably neighbors, spend time in the same places, and we were probably running into each other, and we're sort of two uh, strangers crossing each other. You guys probably crossed each other on the sidewalk on a daily basis and didn't even know it. Most likely. So tell me. Yes. What's going on in your life, Daniel Collins? I think I'm becoming Instagram famous. Okay, I'm not. But I've been posting... A little more yeah, consistently. I've seen you do that. To my reels this week. You've been doing some really cool reels, I have to say. <laughs> You're a much better maker of reels than I am. Uh, yeah, I don't, I don't think so. Of course, if you were my client, I would tell you to use hashtags. <laughs> well, I'm working on it. I have things to work on, and you are coaching me on it, and Ooh. I appreciate that. So, Yeah, for sure. Hey, listen. Mm-hmm. I was going to tell you that I do appreciate one thing. What? My closet. I made that like f- seven years ago. I know, but I get... See, guys, a small little thing that you do mm. can last a long time in the bucket of gratitude. Yeah, I I love that all my shoes live in one place. Mm. You know? Could they have lived there 
In Manhattan? <laughs> no, in Manhattan. Um, so, actually, I had a walk-in closet in Manhattan. Score one for Hartford. Well, this is Vernon, not Hartford. Let's, you know. Well, whatever. Score one for the Burbs. Score one for the Burbs. Yeah. You know, I this is the 19th home that I live in. 19? Yeah, I made a list. I made a list of all the houses in which I've lived. I'm sorry I moved my chair. I think our chair should get an honorary name in co-hosting rights. Creaky. Creaky. Oh. Creaky McCreakerson. Mm. You know, they probably didn't even hear it because of the new microphones I got this week. Oh, my God. I can't even go into the fact that Dan got new microphones. I know. I've said new new microphones quite often, but I don't know. Whatever. I have a problem. Hi, my name is Dan. He likes to buy podcasting equipment. (laughs) (laughs) Unfreaking believable. You know, and you say I have a shoe problem? Come on. You don't have a shoe problem anymore. I think you're good. I know. I, I, um... I have faced the conundrum that I think I am going to take the majority of my high heel shoes and give them a, a rehoming. Mm. Because let's face it, I'm not wearing high heels at home. That's mm. true. And if we go back to in person, I may wear high heels here and there, but not for the amount that I own. Mm. I mean, Carrie Bradshaw should give away some of her shoes, honestly. <laughs> Carrie Bradshaw is that sex, sex mm. and city? Yeah. Do you, I see, I said it right. Sex and the city. Yes, you did it's say it right. It's not sex in the city. You are correct. That is what it is. It's pretty good. I it learned, is pretty I've, good. I have mm. learned things in this you relationship. Are, you have learned things in this relationship. What else have you learned in this relationship, Daniel? I have learned that actually you did know coming into this relationship mm-hmm. that Wonder Woman was from Themyscira. I did know that because I was because you, an avid watcher of Diana Prince in the 80s. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so. So I was going to say, I, I am getting ready to, I need to go upstairs and pack pretty soon because... Oh, that's true. I am going away. Julie's going on a road trip. Oh, and I need to find my vaccine card. It's here somewhere. Oh, you do need to find that. You need oh, to scan Lord it into your mercy. phone so you have it. You know, I I hope it was not in the desk, in my mm. old desk. It wasn't it in your old away. desk. It's got to be in your purse. No, it's not in the purse. It's I in a wallet. It's out. <laughs> it's not Last in the I saw it, it was in a coat pocket. It was not in a coat pocket. Yes, it was. Mm. It was at one time. It might be in my coat pocket. That might be yours. I may have held uh, mine's in my wallet because I keep things that are important to me in a spot that does not get put someplace safe. Listen, let me ask you a question. Yes. Do you have a picture of me in your wallet? I have no pictures in my wallet. Then you should have. Do you know why? Do you know why why I have no pictures in my wallet? Why don't you have pictures? Because when you have pictures in your wallet, the pictures get all messed up and nasty. I know, but don't you remember? Remember in the eighties when you had had the wallets that snapped open? I, I never had a wallet that snapped open. Oh, I mean the the Velcro open. The Velcro, yes, I had that. (laughs) And then you would have you had the pictures in there, and the pictures get all stuck. Yeah. to it and that you can never take them out oh of the plastic again. Oh my God, there are some millennials out there wondering what the heck are we talking about? Or Gen Z ask, asking themselves. Velcro wallets. What are we're, these people you know what talking I had? about? I had a Van Halen Velcro wallet. 
Wow. <laughs> you surprise me some days. I don't know why it still happens, but you do. Might as well jump. Jump. What album? I don't know. Come on. What album was Jump what? in? What is this? Come on. You know this. I don't know. It's a year. 1984. Thank you. Is that Yogi Crime? You get a bonus for that. A bonus? Yeah, I don't know what you're going to get, but I figure I'd just say it. Oh, okay. Get a cookie or something. I don't know. Anyhow, (sighs) Speaking of cookies. We're kind of rambling here a little bit. You just changed the subject, and you made what was in my brain disappear. You don't want to talk about Velcro wallets. Oh, you know what I was going to talk about? We need to talk. Do you see what just happened? Okay. Here's Mm. what I'm going to say. Yes. Um, so this morning I took a little early morning ride with Yogi, Mm -hmm. Yogi Bear Collins, our dog. (laughs) Yogi Bear Collins has been having some issues in the last week. The last week? Well, okay. Well, Well, Yogi, Yogi's what? He's eight years old? He's eight. He's going to be nine December 23rd. He's going to be nine December Mm -hmm. 23rd. Yeah. So, for eight and a half years, Yogi's had difficulty lifing. <laughs> no, Yogi He's is just particular. Case. He He's is particular. particular. He has a little bit of OCD. A little bit? Yeah. He's got a lot of bit of OCD. Okay. We've talked about this before, though. We need to yeah. post videos, though. Yes, we need to post videos of it again. But here's the thing. He has become <laughs> more needy and more... Um, Mm-hmm. Whiny, like oh, he no jumps. Matter, no matter yeah. what you do, he's crying constantly. It's not a pain thing. And he's he's, not, in he's pain. not in pain. We've checked it out. Mm-hmm. But he goes in and he um, he wants to jump and be in my lap. And then if I am not sitting in the way that he likes, he cries. He cries, and then he lines. gets down and he looks at me, and then I have to shift and get. In the spot where he likes. So at this point, it's becoming difficult for Julie to work at home. It's crazy. Because he is, and I'm like, I'm at work. She's like, your dog is driving me crazy. And I'm like, come on, I can't be that bad. Then I get home and I'm like, holy crap. He sits at the doorway of the office and he's like, what the heck? Get out of here. Let's go. Why are you in here? Why are you in here? And And if I'm here longer. And then she leaves the room. And then he's like, why aren't you in the office? Basically oh comes back God. to the office. You know, wants her to, it's, it's, it's um, really crazy. I don't Anyhow. Know, it's weird thing, so. so I, our, our vet, who is our friend, we're personal friends with a vet and her husband, because Dan and, and her I, husband yeah, work I, together. Anyway, I think we've talked about that before. Um, so we trust. So I spoke to her. Vet. I spoke to her a couple of times during the week. And she's like, just bring him in. I'm going to check him out make sure he's not in pain. Blah, blah, blah. So Yogi and I went for an adventure this morning because our vet is obviously not around the corner. There are two towns over. It's a half hour drive, but we go there because we love and trust them. And it is in the country. So I went for a country road ride, which not my fave at times because, you know, it's kind of winding roads. It, but it was nice, but not so nice because Yogi doesn't another, like the car. Another quirk of Yogi is he gets car sick. And he throws up. But he always waits until you're almost there. So he's tricking you. Anyhow. You're like, oh, you're doing a great job, good Yogi. Job, you're buddy. so good. You're oh, so good. You did Whether it. it's 10 minutes or 30 minutes, he throws up 
in the last like it's, it's four as if minutes. He knows you're about to turn into wherever mm-hmm. you're going. So yeah, I was making the turn, and he was sitting in the front seat. He and was a little strapped in. The only reason I have WeatherTech floor mats is not for snow. Oh my gosh, it's for the dog. So then we get in, and all sure enough, bleh, okay, sorry. <laughs> Anyhow, and of course we're still not able to go inside. So the vet tech comes out. I'm like, excuse me, can you bring some napkins or paper towels for me? So while he was inside getting checked out, I was um, cleaning. I was cleaning the car. And I am a sympathetic throw-upper. And typically, I am immune to his throw-up for whatever reason. But today, I was like, bleh, bleh. So, Julie. Yeah. What are they doing for Yogi? They're putting him in Prozac. (laughs) So go figure. Our dog is in Prozac. So now we have two dogs that have to take medicine for various things, and mm. I take medicine. So all the men in Casa de Collins have a regimen at night where we take all our medicines together. <laughs> and the funny thing is, the dogs associate medicine with treats. Of course. <laughs> because they get it in, mm-hmm. like... Well, Yogi is not going to legitimately like get that. a treat. Right. Mm. Yeah, Yogi's been getting the same treat air quotes as Simba, except Simba's had medicine in it. Now Yogi's going to get his treat with actual medicine in it. Knowing so, Yogi, he's going to be like, yeah, I don't want that. Thanks. Uh, we'll see. <laughs> Today's the first night. That we'll find out to... if I got to stick a finger down his throat. Oh my anyway. gosh. Okay. So back to S- Scott. <laughs> Scott Mason is a man with a calling. As a biracial LGBTQ plus child born in England, but adopted by and raised in rural middle America by African Americans in an overwhelmingly white social mayo, he grew up far outside of any conceivable social box and without any recognizable community to call his own. With limited resources and even fewer social supports, he came to New York City with the dreams of studying law and building a better life. Against both odds and expectations, he emerged to build a successful career as a government and non-profit executive, always striving to make the world safer, more equitable, and just. He then completely reimagined and reinvented himself as an entrepreneur, leading the growth and success of a small business from the ground up while engaging in leadership roles both in his community and throughout the United States. Scott's calling is to connect people to their higher purpose. You know what? I'm going to let him explain it himself, and we are going to get on with the interview with Julie and Scott Mason. Hello, Scott. Julie, so nice to meet you. So nice to meet you as well. Let me turn off the little heater behind me because that's going to turn on and then our sound's going to be off. So give me a minute. But you're going to be warm, are you not? I am. I have um, I have a sh- little schmata here for me. Hold on. Okay, good. I put it down here. Here we go. <laughs> I was hoping I'd see a big gigantic mink, but well, nevertheless. <laughs> you know, it's in the closet. <laughs> <laughs> you definitely have your own style, and I love it. Well, thank you. Love I'm it. so thrilled that you're here. I just spoke to our girlfriend. We had a little room in Clubhouse last night. Oh, it was super yes. fun. We had a great oh, time. My, I, 
I am getting my rear end on that this weekend. I have like 30 invitations out there. Everyone keeps saying this is a Scott Mason thing if there ever was one in this world. Well, when you're there, we're going to have to do a room together. So I think that's going to be a blast. Oh, my God. I can't wait. I've been looking forward to this. Hold on. Let me turn that off before it goes off. Excuse me. Oh, of course. Okay, you are in my favorite city in the world, so I'm a little yes! jelly. I'm a little I love jelly. that you know a great city. I love it. Uh, my my dad's family's from New York. I lived in New York for many years, and I mean, where, where did you live? Seventy second in Columbus. No, stop it. Yeah. Where seventy? Where on seventy second in Columbus? One twelve. West 72nd. Was that the Swatch building, the bank building? It's the one next to the Swatch building where Ricky's is. Oh, Ricky's, which is gone. It is. Ricky's has ceased to exist. I live on 70th, a half a block from Columbus. To Toward Broadway or to the park? Towards the park. Oh, yeah. I miss I it I bet so we much. ran into each other I'm all sure the we time. Did. I'm sure we did. I was in the park all the time. I walked my dogs mm. all the time. Pioneer. Of course. Fair, unfair way. Unfair way. But pioneers typically where I went because it was in and out. You could, you know, get it done. <laughs> and they didn't give a shit. And why should you? And, right? Yeah, just yeah, go in. Exactly. Just, just go in. Get your stuff. <laughs> Whatever. Do you need a bag? Fine. <laughs> I, I can't believe this. Oh, my God. We're neighbors. I, I work out at the, the, there's a New York sports club yeah, on that, 73rd. That's my New York sports club. That's where I went to the gym. Wow. What a small world. That is insane. Oh my God, I know. So, I um, I moved out of New York. I, I uh, in a on a stormy winter's night in December uh, to out of out of Manhattan. I moved out of Manhattan. My husband and I divorced, and uh, I moved to Brooklyn. And I cried the whole way because I was going to become a bridge and tunnel girl. <laughs> you get but where it, in right? Brooklyn did you where in Brooklyn did you move to? I now moved to Bay Ridge. Oh, I moved to Baby. You really did move. I did move, but my oh. office, the company that I worked for, um, we they were in Bensonhurst, so Bay Ridge. Yeah. Was and and I had a lovely, lovely apartment that I could see the water and walk by the water and do some yeah. healing. So it was good. terrific. And what was the train? Was it the D train? It was the D train, but I have a car because for many oh. years I worked in New Jersey. I worked in Bergen County, so I would do okay. the reverse commute, and I um, I worked for an educational company that had subsidiaries all over the tri-state. So it was important for me to be able to travel with my car and go everywhere. But um, then when I started working for the company in Brooklyn, I still did the reverse commute because I was not going to be on that train for two and a half hours to, from. Uh-uh. From the Upper West Side, because I would have to take the train downtown, switch in Court Street, and then it was like another hour, because it was the last stop for the D train. It's crazy. So, yeah. I actually occasionally would train at a jujitsu school up in that neighborhood on 13th Avenue. Oh, yeah. And yeah. Great delis. <laughs> yeah, totally. Totally. Yeah. <laughs> so, oh my God, what a small world! I love people that know my love, my love for Manhattan, and know everything. Okay, uh, I have I to just... ask, what's your favorite restaurant in your neighborhood? I mean, of course, things probably have changed, but my yeah, and this is actually, if you're familiar with this restaurant, this <laughs> actually made me was one of many that made me want to it, it just shed some tears. Actually, mm. uh, there was an old school diner on like 68th towards um 
towards Amsterdam. Yeah. To, actually, uh, called Old John's. Old John's, yeah. They're it was gone? closed. It didn't make it. Wow. Yeah. That's like a war. That was it. Because it was just, they would let you hang out there forever. Mm-hmm. It really was yeah. like something from a prior era. And um, just. You know, and, and it's, it's. The sad part about it is like I think about and if you and of course for the listeners, because I'm going to leave this in here. But for the listeners, if you have an idea of what New York City is like, I tell people that New York City, especially Manhattan, the neighborhoods are really like a small town. You know, everybody, you would go into a restaurant or a diner where you knew the servers, you knew the waitresses, you you can see the cook. And then the old little guy would take you from the door to give you the menu and sit you down. And they've been there forever. And like you said, they would allow you to just sit and um, have fun. And, you know, they they would give you a nice coffee, some (laughs) advice unsolicited, uh, and you would (laughs) go on. Yeah. What was your favorite? I've got to ask. So many. Okay, so um, Cafe Ronda was my favorite. Of course. And uh, because I I love the Argentinian food. My mom is from El Salvador, so I need to have a little flavor in there. Oh, yes. (laughs) And and living right there. Oh, my gosh. But I was on speed dial for most uh, restaurants, too. Uh, um, Let's see. Saigon Grill, of course. Oh, my God. It was like the place to be. And, And... I, I, of course, took a stand when, I, I don't know if you remember, the um, when the servers and delivery people took, uh, went on strike, yeah. and they weren't delivering. Yes. <laughs> I would come in from New Jersey. Yeah, the Acopolis. And, and I, would, I would come in from New Jersey, and I would drive by as I started to look for parking, because I did the parking in the street. And I'm like, oh, this is where I could just double park and go get me some Saigon grill, but I'm not going to because <laughs> I need to support them. And I'm like, oh, I feel so bad. But yeah. I remember Saigon grill when they used to be um, on, I want to say like 86 on uh-huh. Broadway when it was yep. just 10 tables. Yes. So small, hole in the wall. And then, and they would like pour the tea, the hot tea after you got up and clean the table with the tea and then they would boot you out because the next people were coming in and they were outside freezing. Yes, that's what I remember, the the boot out. Mm. <laughs> like, yeah, you, you're finished now? Yeah, okay, gotta go. <laughs> next people. <laughs> oh, so I can't wait. It's been a year since I've been in New York. I, I, it, I've, I can't remember the last time it's been this long. I'm missing really good bagels and... Yeah, real bagels. Mm-hmm. The Real city bagels. is transforming, you know, it is coming back. So, yeah. you know, when you do come back, you won't see it at its darkest hour. Yeah. And it was dark. It was very uh, dark. I have um, to say, you know, when um when I when I went through and I um I I was watching the videos and this is the height of the pandemic. And um, they would show clips of people um, wringing their pots and pans and, you know, in the, at 6 p.m. Yes. I would sob because I, I was there through 9-11. I, I was there through so many different. So, you know, the spirit of the New Yorker, you know, the spirit of the Manhattan and, and even the boroughs, you know, there's nothing that beats you down and you just kind of keep going. So totally. And it's interesting that you mentioned 9-11. You know, mm-hmm. I was there for that as well. And I actually was lucky enough to be involved in the recovery. 
I thought well, that 9 11 itself and the way the city was afterwards would be the worst thing in my life mm. that I would experience, especially vis a vis the city itself. Mm-hmm. To have actually endured something worse. Yeah. I never thought I would imagine. I... And so, if there's anything that I've learned, <laughs> never say, oh, <laughs> nothing will be worse than this. Oh, because you can't. as bad as 9 11 was, this was multiple scales worse. Yeah. And, and you know, and I think that my family and friends that are in the city, I, um, I feel for them, but I also know that the spirit of resiliency, as with yes. anyone, but oh, yeah. um, obviously New York has a special place in my heart, you know, and, I can and tell. Uh, I but can thank you for being here. Welcome to Casa de Confidence. We jumped right into our conversation. So Scott Mason, you. introduce yourself. Thank you. So my name is Scott Mason. Shocking, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> I was born in England, raised in Kansas came here to New York City for law school. I am a man who has a profound belief in the importance and the power of creating spaces to connect people to their higher purpose, Mm. to build a better self and a better world, which, as we've been talking about, we need. And I have been on the journeys of many lifetimes to get to the place where I can speak about it with confidence and I believe authority. You're, you're making me so excited about this conversation because there's so many ways that we can go on here. But one of the reasons that I invited you is because one of the organizations that, that I volunteer with is actually putting on a big event and we were uh, looking for a speaker and you were contender in there. Uh, and, and sadly, I, I was only one vote, but you know, other people were looking forward to um, having you speak. And I thought, you know what? All right, fine. I'm going to bring them on the podcast. There's going to be more people listening to that than attending the, although attend that event because I am the co-chair and I want oh, to be good. successful. So yeah, I, I, you must attend, but you're listening to the podcast and this will be evergreen and people will get to listen to you. So I thank you for coming to Casa de Confidence. Super excited. I am ecstatic to be here. Yeah. I've been very excited about it. So you, uh, I'm going to talk about your background. You were a lawyer. You went to Columbia Law. I did. And what are you doing now? I am an inspirational speaker. Mm -hmm. And I speak on that topic of connection to purpose, building a better self in a better world. I also run a consultancy service for small businesses looking to grow, scale, and sustain. And I also host a podcast called Scott Mason's Purpose Highway, which shockingly enough connects to the same thing. Yeah. And and one of the things that really resonated with me in looking at your stuff and listening to you is that you are a person that really believes in the power of um, the mind and having a positive attitude in your mindset. And I think that you also are someone who looks to help people connect to a better purpose and also take that inner purpose, believe in themselves and go confidently forward. And that that totally is something that I can get behind. Thank you. I'm glad to hear that. It's funny because I feel so passionately about that because so much of my life and so much of my journey has been spent either absolutely disconnected from purpose, Mm -hmm. in fact, actively hostile to it at some point, or lost 
in mm. a wilderness trying to figure out exactly how to get there. And so I truly understand the power of the process. I understand also the impact transformation that can occur and what that can mm. mean for someone who has been wandering in the wilderness and finally begins to see the way out. Yeah. Now, you grew up in the Midwest. You were born in England, as you mentioned. Yes. But tell me a little bit about growing up in the Midwest, because you were a biracial child, LGBTQ, um, and yes. you were adopted by an African-American uh, parent. And uh, I want to know what your journey was like growing up. And I think that it's so different and diverse from what your journey is now and where you are in New York City, right? So tell us a little Absolutely. bit about that. Thank you. So it was interesting. My adoptive parents, as you mentioned, are two African-Americans. My mother worked in a dog food factory and my father worked for the state highway patrol. It was a classic working class background. The milieu was overwhelmingly white. And we were one of the few minority families that were in the school district where I went to school. It was rule that later changed to suburban as I grew older. But when we first moved into the house that I grew up in there, there was literally a gigantic field behind me. I would see horses there and there were creeks in the little forest. And I would go and play in the creeks with the crawdads and find turtles that I would make my pet for the night, but they always managed to <laughs> creep away. <laughs> they just didn't like me. It was also an environment that was unfriendly mm. to people who were different. And I often felt trapped between a whole host of worlds that didn't quite have the ability to connect with me. And in many cases were hostile to the idea of making that sort of connection. I found some solace a lot of times jogging. I jogged three, five miles a day, sometimes even seven. There were big, gigantic wheat fields and a lake nearby, and I would jog and jog and jog, tire myself out. And then I would look up at the sky at night, and I would see the stars, and I would imagine a different world. I loved disco as a kid. Oh, me too. And the disco album covers always had big cities and lights and glamorous people doing fun, exciting things. And... I knew somewhere when I looked up at those stars that there was that disco city oh. <laughs> that I could go to and find myself. Oh, I, I love that. You know, when I lived in Brooklyn, uh, I very often heard Saturday Night Fever playing in the background of my head. <laughs> and, and, and I think that there is something that I tell people. You can visit New York City for the first time and you'll either love it or hate it. You may grow to appreciate it, but your initial instinct, um, and I, I believe that those people that love New York have um, have been dreaming of, of, of uh, the city and the lights and just the excitement. But what prompted you? Because, you know, I, I, I think, I mean, I've, I've had certainly a journey myself, but I know that when you are sort of in a hostile sort of environment where people, yes. you are different and you don't necessarily fit in because you're sort of that that star-shaped peg in a round and square holes. <laughs> How, what made you believe that it was possible and overcome some of the obstacles to actually get you to the city and go to law school in New York? Yeah, a couple of things. First of all, to some extent, 
and I will not lie to you, spite. Mm. When your mother works in a dog food factory and your father works for the highway patrol and you're in the middle of backwoods, Kansas, people are not expecting you to become an Ivy League educated lawyer. It's mm. not in the cards. Not only that, but I did not necessarily talk openly for most of my childhood and teenage years about the fact that I'm adopted. Mm -hmm. And so from the perspective of a lot of people in the community, there was a black child who somehow <laughs> ended up looking like I do coming out of two African-American parents, but there was still a stigma that was associated with that racial background. Mm -hmm. I did have a teacher in high school, a debate teacher mm -hmm. who said to his entire class, you know, you can teach a monkey, to talk, but you can't teach him to think. And he said that about me. And mm. so when you hear that sort of thing, I could have let it defeat me. Yep. And sometimes I might, but I also said to myself, I'm not going to end up exactly where people like that want me to be. Yeah. And being LGBT on top of it <clears throat> really added fuel to that because that sort of difference, boys are what they are. Right. They will pick on it. Mm -hmm. My instinct, fortunately, was to fight back. So no one ever attempted that more than once. But nevertheless, it sort of ingrained in me this thought, I have to fight. I have to make my own way. Now, mm -hmm. that ended up helping me move out and into a different direction. Yeah. It also ended up profoundly limiting me later. It was an adaptation that later ended up being a dysfunctional one. But that was part of it. I would say number two. There were teachers in particular that believed I had something special intellectually. Mm -hmm. So for every teacher that thought I was a monkey yes. and couldn't think, right, there were others that said, you know, actually, you're not the dumbest thing in the whole world. You're quite the opposite yeah. and supported and believed in me. And so having that little dose of belief, even if it wasn't the dominant thread in my life, mm -hmm. was the string that kept me from sliding down into the abyss. Oh, you know, for every teacher, and I agree with you 100%, because I had um, unbelievable teachers that breathe, believed into me. But I also had the teachers that um, had I allowed the, the record that they were playing to become stuck in my brain, Yes. I, it really could have prevented me from doing a lot of stuff. Absolutely. So I'm really happy that you did have people that were sharing some of this. Now, um, why did you pick law? I am interested. I have always cared about other people. Hmm. Sometimes more than other times. <laughs> but we'll talk about that a little bit later, I'm sure. Yeah, uh, And, you know, as I was going through college, I realized that I actually had an interest in public policy. Mm. I was in Texas okay. for a summer at the University of Texas's LBJ public policy school one summer. Oh, terrific. Yeah. And they had a program for college students that were interested in going to public policy school. And I attended a panel. And in that panel, one of the other participants in the program asked the professors at that school, is there any reason why we should go to your school as opposed to law school, especially if you consider the fact that law school offers you more potential opportunity and has a better reputation? Mm -hmm. 
And the panelists looked at each other and they said no. So I said, oh, thank you. You just made a decision for me. It's a decision not to go to the school that you're here to represent, but you made a decision for me. And so I ended up going to law school because I was interested in public policy mm-hmm. and, and in particular government as a vehicle for transforming the lives of people for the better. I think that there's such a um, truth to that. Public policy and impacting the lives of the community members and individuals it is so important. And when people think of government, when they think of government officials, they tend to get jaded and they tend to believe that, oh, they're crooked, they're this, they don't care. Yeah. But the reality is that every, I would say 99% of the people that I've met that have gone into public policy and that work in governmental and nonprofits and NGOs, um, they really want to make an impact and a mark. And they are doing it. And there's tireless servants who spent a lot of time investing in themselves to really be able to make an impact for others. And that's something that I think goes sort of unnoticed at times. So that's, I thank you. I thank you for, for believing that you can make your mark. Now you moved from that, from, from a law career, and, and maybe I'm getting the timing incorrect, but you moved to a non-for-profit uh, world. Tell yep. me, what was your work like in the non-for-profit arena? I worked for the nation's largest provider of domestic violence shelter services. It also (laughs) runs homeless shelters as well as homes for adults who are developmentally disabled. Mm. It does incredible work. And there was not a single day that I walked through the doors of that place that I felt that I was not contributing to making the world a better place. One thing about that organization too, that I truly appreciate its name is urban resource Institute Mm -hmm. is that it is historically African-American and was founded in the eighties in New York city as a sort of one-stop shop for people that were suffering a whole host of urban related deprivations at a time when urban women, which is an African-American and Latina urban women in particular, were the principal people that were being served, were being demonized by politicians mm. everywhere. Yep. And it went against that trend. It survived and it's grown and it's grown and it's grown. Mm. It ultimately ended up not being my purpose. Right. And in fact, part of the internal conflict that I had working there that ultimately led me to leave was that although it was doing wonderful work, that work was not the work that was my calling. Mm. But nevertheless, I ran operations for it during a massive growth phase. I also provided legal counsel to it. And the work that it does is truly it's the work of angels. I, I think that, you know, you are truly a non-for-profit employee knowing that you had to wear multiple hats. I worked for ah. the last organization that I worked for, our sister organization, had an, and we had a non-for-profit. And uh, not only did I work for the for-profit full-time, but I also worked as uh, deputy director for the non-for-profit. And I wore multiple yeah. hats yeah. because that's the nature of the animal. But it's interesting because you, you said that... Um, um, you ultimately realized that that wasn't your purpose and how you were supposed to create an impact. And how did you find your purpose? 
I will tell a little story that will explain that. I love it. Thank you. I had been feeling for some time after I left that nonprofit and during the time that I was there, what I call a providential pull. If I were to imagine my heart as a ball tied to a pole that was designed to swing in one direction or another, I felt that that swing was pulling me further and further away from where I was. Mm. I didn't necessarily understand in what direction it was being pulled or where it was going, but I felt the pull. And not only did I feel the pull from within, but more importantly, I felt that the pull was coming from without. That it was something that was pulling and pushing from either side of me and that I was merely the vessel of. Now, after I left that nonprofit, I worked for a small business for a while. I was Mm co-owner of an apparel silkscreen printing company. It was amazing. And eventually my business partner and I split because we had radically different visions for the future of that company. Mm -hmm. But the story I wanna share with you about that occurred afterwards. We decided that my business partner should keep the business. He had been a screen printer his entire life. He's a damn good one. And I had no desire to take over that business or to hurt him or the business. And I had a whole host of other different experiences that I could draw from to move into my next chapter. But what was that chapter and what would that look like? I didn't know. You are a New Yorker, no matter where you live. So I'll I'll keep it real with you. One night I took my bicycle and I was riding through Central Park to get to a special event in Harlem. And it was raining that night. And at that time I wore glasses, I don't anymore. So I was riding my bike in Central Park at night in the rain, wearing glasses that were getting foggy. Not the smartest thing in the world, but it led to a revelation. As I was bicycling along through the park, I remember asking myself, Scott, you are about to go on, or you are actually going on this journey that could really be the chance for you to be in that providential stream, to be going where that push is taking you. Mm. How can I leverage the skills and experiences that I've had in my life to get what I want out of it? For whatever reason, in that nighttime bicycle ride, something shifted in my mind. I said to myself, wait, Scott, you're thinking about this wrong. All you're doing is you're thinking about how can I get what I want? Mm -hmm. Narcissism, plain and simple. And when that shift happened, I also thought, whoa, service. All the way back when I was in Kansas, all the way back when I was in law school, before I began a career path that led me down some amazing places, but also some places where my heart got lost. Hmm. I wanted to be of service. But my thinking in that moment was not about service. And when I realized that service would be how I found my path, I felt overcome with emotion 
And so on that bicycle, in the night, in the rain, with foggy glasses, I started to, and I will confess this to you, if you ask me about it later, I'll pretend I never said this. I started to cry. Yeah. And I started to cry. I, I was just utterly overwhelmed. Mercifully, I did not crash into a tree, run over a New York City rat, or otherwise <laughs> do the sort of damage that, you know, crying on a bicycle with foggy glasses on in the middle of the night can cause. But everything in my life changed afterwards. I began to feel like I wasn't just walking on the edge of the providential river that would take me where I needed to go, but that I finally had stepped in. Mm. And I've never looked back. Scott, thank you for sharing that story. I, I got chills listening to it. I, I think that there is providence when we are able to have a moment to connect. And I, I have found that really Central Park is a magical place where you can connect. And I have found so many um, pieces of wisdom within myself um, yes. walking in Central Park. And I totally could see this happening. And I think the one thing that you said is that your heart got lost, but you reconnect, reconnected to the one thing that you had wanted to do, and that was service. And I yes. honor that. Um, one of the values for my business and for myself, and I've had to reconnect. And I also think that reconnecting to that purpose is what is that value in being servant and being a leader, servant leader is one of those values that I hold very strongly. And I think that for anyone that is looking to reconnect or is not sure or may think, oh, my gosh, I don't know what I would do. I don't know what my purpose is. It's really listening and going in and being quiet and saying hello in there. And the other thing, too, is that you knew that no matter where you went in your journey, everything that you had been doing was going to help you no matter where you landed. Yes. And that's so important. And it's a crucial lesson in living and finding your purpose is that knowing yeah. that you already have the tools and the equipment within you to be able to do that. So, yeah. so yeah. good. Now, what's amazing about that is that, you know, true humility involves trying to to the extent that we can gain perspective on the entire time frames within which we live. Mm. At every single point in my life where I had had different professional experiences in particular, but even some personal ones, everything from that teacher saying what he did to employers that were abusive to projects that I worked on or, or activities that I engaged in at work that were failures or successes to mistakes that I made that I look back sometimes with horror on as well as triumphs that I had. Those are all in that moment. What their ultimate role in life is often cannot be seen for a very long time. Mm. And so, to me, accepting that my lens through which I see any particular event or set of events is limited by my own incapacity to understand the whole picture, not just of my life, 
but of my life in the larger tapestry of this planet, of the universe. We are nothing but a piece of that tapestry. Exactly. A little tiny knot in fabric. Mm-hmm. I, I got an opportunity yesterday. Um, I have a little ritual that kind of cracks me up. I have a lot of rituals. But uh, when I come downstairs in the morning, we usually have our, our blinds, not our blind, our curtains closed because my husband, it's sort of like Dracula at night and he likes dark. I'm not. I like it really bright. So the first thing that I do is I go to the living room and we have a big bay window and I just pull the curtains open. And every time when I do that, I say, good morning, Alexa. And I don't know <laughs> if anybody has tried that. But your artificial intelligence can actually have a relationship with you. And Alexa tells me a little um, a, a little tidbit or whatever the day is, some trivia or funny joke, you know, because Alexa thinks she's <laughs> funny. But I don't, was it yesterday or the day before? She's like, today is Pluto Day. And I'm like, oh, okay, what does that mean? I'm like, what yeah. do you mean, right? So Alexa mentioned that it was the anniversary of the planet Pluto being discovered in 1930. Wow. And she said, and to put it into perspective for you, since its discovery in 1930, the planet has not completed a whole revolution around the sun. And I sat there and I thought, I am so small compared to the universe that I am a part of. And this totally, you know, I think that you get that. I think I you get do. that. Oh, yes, so absolutely. good. What is the biggest challenges that you feel people encounter in trying to um, connect to themselves, their purpose, or find new direction for their lives? Mm-hmm. There are a number. I would say one is the underlying inability or perhaps lack of knowledge of the availability of connection to purpose as a tool for filling what we might not even realize we don't have. Mm -hmm. If you don't know something even exists, if it's outside of your light cone altogether, how on earth then can you begin to connect to that and gain from it? I say this because for many years, particularly during my career in government, I did not believe that purpose existed. I was convinced that the universe was at best utterly indifferent, but more likely actively hostile. And so it was up to me to get what I could from it. Mm. And I did. And when you're walking around in that mindset, the concept of purpose If I had met you at that point in my life and you had said, Scott, you know, you seem like you are very cynical or nihilistic. Maybe you should think about figuring out if that's really connecting you to your purpose. I would have looked at you as if you were crazy and said, don't talk like that to me. There's no purpose. I just want my next raise. Get out of my way if you can't help. Oh, we would have been on the same page, but we probably probably would have been best friends. Yeah. And and (laughs) taking over the world. (laughs) Taking over the world. I I think that uh, we come full circle in our lives and opportunities are in front of us and it's not until we're ready to seize them that 
do we move to a larger level? I saw something um, on your bio that I happen to uh, think very highly of, among other things. And uh, you were the president of the Toastmasters chapter. Are you still? I still am. Now, my term is going to be ending in a few months. I am proud to say, by the way, the Toastmasters group that I am the president of has been growing fast. And not only that, but it has been highly engaged. We've had to move from being every other week Mm -hmm. to every week. We have speeches out for weeks. Uh, People are stampeding to join. They're loyal. They come back again and again. Um, And that is a group that a few years ago when I took it over was, I'd go to meetings and there might be three people there. What a shame because Toastmasters is a great organization. If you've never gone to a meeting, belong or are not sure what it is, you really should check it out. I'm, I'm a Toastmaster myself. I, I didn't finish my competent communicator because I married this guy and he moved me out of Brooklyn <laughs> for love. And here I'm in Connecticut. But uh, I said I was going to rejoin when I got here. And nine years later, I didn't do it. Well... Why don't we talk about that a little bit offline? Let's definitely because there's one waiting for someone like you, and we meet on Zoom. Oh, perfect! I love the Zoom possibilities, (laughs) and that's that's what 2020 has brought us. That it has brought in our possibilities, and it has allowed us to just be limitless. And we are only limited by the limits we place on ourselves. What I'm hearing there that is so beautiful, by the way is true entrepreneurial spirit. Mm -hmm. Those that possess that spirit, despite all of the tragedy, the fear, the terror, the uncertainty, and the weirdness that began (laughs) when the lockdowns and the pandemic emerged as a true Mm -hmm. force, despite all that, those with that spirit can see exactly what you've been describing. And that's a beautiful place to be when you're there. Oh, well, thank you. And I think that, you know, when I, um, I was laid off, as most people who listen to this podcast know, when I was laid off in, um, I was separating from a 20 year executive career. And I thought, mm-hmm. hmm. and, and yes, there was a moment of grief, but there was a moment of hope. And I thought, I know exactly what I'm going to do. And I knew that I wanted to um, create the uh, the an organization in which I can support others in leadership. I can share not only my expertise, but also be able to breathe that belief into others that they can do it, and they can go out and achieve their dreams if they in- implement simple habits and really incorporate into their lives the view that it's possible only if they try. So yes. I I think that that's great. Now, who inspires you, Scott? So many people, I don't even know where to begin. You know, believe it or not, this is a very controversial answer, but I will be candid with you about it. Jeff Bezos. I, I, and, I'm not, it's good with me. Yeah. Well, you know, I know that some people, I'm not saying he or anyone is perfect. Or I know that there have been a lot of controversy around a lot of the labor practices mm-hmm. and feeling states around the culture of the empire that he has created. That being said, he's someone that so many people would have looked at at a certain phase of his life and merely said, skinny, unattractive, uncharismatic nerd, trying this things with books, which is overly intellectual mm-hmm. anyway. Yep. 
and the man took over the world. Yes, he did. He went to my high school. Stop it. Yeah, yeah I, I went to high school in Miami. He graduated a couple of years before I did. So, Whoa. Yeah, we, 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 I, I've made, you know how you do the seven degrees of Kevin Bacon? I yes. had, uh, when I was a 10th grader, I had friends that were seniors because I've always hung out with older lady, older people. And uh, so I went back and I started to see if I could make a connection to Jeff Bezos. And I did. <laughs> it was like more like nine or 10 degrees. But yeah, it's a good exercise. That ain't bad. That ain't bad. <laughs> Not that he would know <laughs> me from Adam, but you know. <laughs> and, uh, you, you can still pull that card out when you need to. <laughs> yeah, there you go. I love that you're inspired by that because I think that there are certain traits that someone as successful as Jeff, Jay, Jeff Bezos does, right? And yes, we, yes. we screw up or we do choices and we um, surround ourselves with people and it happens in business, right? You go yeah. in one direction and then you sort of sit back and like, maybe that wasn't the best, but yeah. there are certain traits that the resiliency, the ability to pivot, the ability to think big. Yeah. It's very crucial to success. Absolutely. And that in particular is what I love about him. The <laughs> raw scale of yeah. the ambition. I view it both aspirationally and I relate to it. My <laughs> belief, and I tell, you know, a couple of years ago, I was in this program called the Goldman Sachs 10,000 Small Businesses Program. And when I interviewed for that, they asked me something or another about what, how ambitious are you or how much do you want your company to grow? And I told them, no matter how deep the well of my ambition might be that you imagine, it's infinitely deeper. Mm. I love it. And I love that he not only has that, but he's, you know, he's moving on to a different phase of his career. Yep. But it's not to just sit back and hang out and, and go water skiing or something like that, right? It's, again, additional ambition in a, in a different, different way. Right. I love that. I think that that's um, our ability as humans to evolve, to yes. really envision that once you know, if it, and there's nothing wrong if you're not um, ambitious, but I think that we have to be able to give ourselves um, the vision of possibility that comes with change. And Absolutely. we are so afraid of changing, but what happens is that when we are afraid of changing, then it, it really diminishes our spirit in some ways. I would even take that a step further. <laughs> and this, again, is a point that many of your audience members may vehemently disagree with. And you may push back very hard on me yourself about this. But I'm kind of a radical around this. Okay. Ch change, or I should say resistance to it, resistance to the point where you refuse to engage in it, actually, I believe, has an ethical dimension mm. and a negative one. We're each given by providence, the universe, or whatever you call it, a certain set of skills, talents, or abilities. Yeah. And that unique set, along with the experiences that we have, all of which are unique to us, provide us with potential. Mm-hmm. However, for any potential to ever be matched, particularly by a human being, growth and change 
must occur. If solely due to our own mindset or fear, we are failing to take the growth steps to really optimize in the universe our potential, our purpose. Hmm. What did Providence give us those things for? Are we not holding ourselves as greater than the force of the universe? And to do that, I would argue, is a profound ethical crime. It's one that's invisible, but it's one that is, I believe, very much a reality. Wow. Scott Mason, you are um, full of, I would believe, a deep well of wisdom and empathy and uh, innovation because those ideas really resonate with me in my heart. I'm reading the, uh, people are getting tired of me saying this, or maybe I'm getting tired of saying it. I'm reading The Untethered Soul right now. I'm reading it again. Mm. And I actually um, decided that, I, I read it a couple of years back, and then I'm listening to it. And I've decided I'm going to read it and listen, because the chapter in fear, mm. it's something that, resonates with me because I see it in myself and I see it in those around me and I want to be able to embrace it and understand it and process it so that I can give people the ability to be present with it. So I I think that that's... Can you talk about me and wisdom? Please. Talk about me. Now you're a reader. Oh, you, you, I need to be listening to you. No, please. Are you I a am. reader? You, what do you read? Oh my gosh! So one thing I am very proud of. You know, I'll, again, a little story here. Yeah. I once had a boss back when I worked in government. I was mad because I felt a lot of my colleagues were getting opportunities handed to them on a plate because they had mentors, <laughs> and no one was mentoring me. It just wasn't happening. And my boss looked at me and said, "Scott, you will never. It will never be you. You will never have a mentor." That's your lot in life. Sorry, Hmm. it's not going to happen, at least with the city government. Okay. And, uh, of course, that went over like a lead balloon in the planet of Jupiter. (laughs) But, uh, you know, he then said, what you're going to need to do, Scott, is become your own mentor. Mm. Best piece of advice I've ever gotten. So good. And Yeah, and, and I appreciated his candor. There are things about my personality and who and what I was and the way I presented that were not going to encourage mentorships. And that's just the way it is. But what I could do and I began to do then was develop a curriculum for myself every year that I read. Okay. And I understand that there are either knowledge areas that I am sorely lacking in. There's areas that I'm curious about. There's areas that I need refreshers on. And there's areas where I just want to read it because it's fun. I'm currently reading a book right now called Scale or Fail because Mm -hmm. scaling and growing businesses is something I'm familiar with. I know how to do. I'm good at. But the more perspectives that I get on that, the deeper that knowledge is. There's always a new way to look at something and there's always additional tools that are out there that I can use to help scale 
my business, my life, my mm -hmm. income, all of these, my compassion, my presence in the world. Um, and so that's what I'm reading right now. What my, and that's my favorite book because I'm reading it right now. Mm. I might have a different favorite book tomorrow. And so when we have another conversation, which, which hopefully will. will be soon, we will soon we'll have a different exchange. I, uh, I, I love it. I think, and, I, and that you created a curriculum for yourself. I am intrigued. Perhaps I need to do something similar to that <laughs> because I love to read and I go in multiple directions. My husband thinks I'm crazy. I actually, in the living room currently, I have three books. I have two upstairs <laughs> and I have one at my desk that I started to go through a refresher. <laughs> have you read this, by the way? Leaders what Lab? is that? No. Oh. But I, I, well, I've heard of that book, and I love the title. Must. Are you, are, are you making, are you putting another book on my, in my syllabus for the you year? Know, this may be extra credit. <laughs> okay, if I can get A plus, I, I will. I'll get it. Uh, yeah, it is. Uh, it's by Simon Sinek, and he is phenomenal. I one of the things here in Connecticut that really I have been blown away. They're such an amazing entrepreneurial and business community. And that even though I was going into New York City once a week, either for the day or overnight or traveling to different places where we had programs, um, I did make it a point that if this was going to be home, I needed to connect locally. So I joined several different organizations. And one they, one of the organizations is actually a place that um, runs a soup kitchen, but they also run a sustainable jobs program mm. uh, in the community in inner city Hartford in which they teach sustainable skills for the uh, recipients of the food kitchen um, services in which they teach them culinary skills or uh, urban farming. And it's amazing, but in, um, in this, um, the leadership program, it, it's, um, Leadership of Greater Hartford puts together this program in which uh, we have little pods and uh, they bring in speakers. So I'm going to have to connect you once we're up and running because this may be a great place. Maybe you'll come to the Greater Hartford area. I love it. Yeah. I love it. So I could talk to you all afternoon, but I want to be sensitive of, of your time. And I know that we connected for 45 minutes, but thank you so much for visiting Casa de Confidence. It is a pleasure. Um this was amazing. Yeah. Give give the audience uh, one advice for being confident. If you can imagine a bar, a vertical bar, between your mind, your heart, and your stomach, place it there. Take your hand. Don't be afraid to grab it. Don't be afraid to connect all of those things mm -hmm. and have whatever energy they each bring flowing back and forth in your, in the pit of your gut, the depths of your heart, the back of your brain, everything that you need to be full force. You is there and it's ramrod strong. Oh, that is so amazing. Thank you for sharing that. You bring it out in people. It's all you. Well, thank you. I I appreciate you sharing that because it's the visual and you must get in Clubhouse. I know I've been saying this, people, but Scott, there was a panel the other night and I was intrigued and I was past my bedtime listening to it and it was the power of storytelling. And you, my friend, are a storyteller. I love that you're bringing these points and bring them to life 
through your story. So thank you so much for being here. Are you kidding? It's been a true honor. Um, well, where can people find you? Speakerscott.com is my website. Mm-hmm. Purposehighway.com is my podcast. So good. And of course, S Mason one on LinkedIn or S dot Scott underscore Mason on Instagram, different stuff on all the platforms, but hopefully everyone will find those things meaningful. Oh, well, perfect. And we'll have that in the show notes for everyone. So Scott, thank thank you you so much. I'm going to come to New York and we'll have to get either a martini, a drink or some sort of bagel because I am uh, in need of something New York. And if I find out you are in this city and not looking me up, you know, temper tantrum time. All right. Well, terrific. Thank you so much for your time and have a wonderful day. Thank you. What What? a dynamic energy Scott has. He does. Isn't he just one of these people that you meet and feel like he is infectious? He just seems so joyful. And he is such a kind person. And I know that his heart, and I've gotten to know him, if you heard on the interview, he invited me to be a part of the Toastmasters Mm -hmm. group in New York. So I got to hang out with these cool people from New York City once a week. And I love it. And he is what you see is what you get. He wasn't just on air quotes for the interview. I know. This this is a thing. This is what I pick up just as an observation. He Mm -hmm. spoke about it himself, about how he used to be and how he was and how he is now. It's not a fake joy or a fake happy. Mm-hmm. It's a it's a happiness that comes out of a past um, where he didn't always fit in, mm-hmm. and and that can be a path of hard hardship. That knowing you find your joy in life, yeah. There... If you've if you've if you've experienced hardness. And being an outsider, and you finally discover yourself, discover your people, discover your joys, your joys are even more bright and happy and yeah. wonderful. You know, I was reading, I'm reading this book, and um, it is called Power Thoughts by Joyce Meyer, mm-hmm. who some people may, may know. But one of the things that she said is, accept a few grays. If you want to stay positive, we have to realize that everything is not black or white. Life has some gray areas, some in-betweens. Everything can't be perfect all of the time, and everything isn't horrible all of the time. Deciding to skip a meeting or social event simply because you're running five minutes late or have a blemish, blemish on your face, canceling an entire trip because of flight delayed, or feeling like a terrible human being over an innocent mistake is always of thinking known as polarizing. And it leads to frustration and negativity. To stay upbeat about life, accept that you won't be perfect all of the time. And neither will the people or things around you. If we expect perfection out of life in general, we usually tend to expect the same thing from people. What type of unrealistic expectations not only meets with great deal of disappointments when our expectations are not met, but it also places unbearable pressure on people we care about and can eventually destroy relationships. So, think about it. Mm -hmm. 
in what specific ways do you need to be more accepting in the imperfect areas of your life or in ways someone else's imperfect areas that affect you? And I think that that's one thing we don't always look at. And this is why I love Scott and his positivity and his mindset mm. and the person that he is becoming and how he's making an impact in the world. Mm. You know what you just read? What? Makes me think of. If you wait to show up until you're perfect, you're never going to show up. Mm. This applies in life. This so applies true. in in what you're doing, fitness, mm -hmm. and how you want to stay healthy, how you want to relate to people, yeah. how you <laughs> want to be with friends, how you want to be with family, how you want to perform at work, how you want to be an entrepreneur, how oh, you yeah. want to do what you want to do in life and how you want to help people if you're waiting till you're perfect to show up you're never going to show up you're never going to show up and i think that there's a lot of people that are also not only waiting to be perfect to show up but they're waiting for the people around them to be who they want them to be hmm. and here's the thing we cannot have expectations of people I was speaking to someone this week and, you know, I feel sad for this person and I can't change her thoughts, but she believes that again, things are happening to her and you, all you can do is I'm holding space for her and I'm hoping that, you know, in the times that I have thoughts that don't serve me, you know, people can also hold space for me, but I do feel sad, and I feel sad because she has to be able to make the shift of her thoughts. Anyway, enough of that. Let's go out. It's beautiful outside. It's beautiful you, outside. I, yeah. I hope you guys enjoyed Scott Mason. I, I, I hope you um, absorbed some of the energy he was putting out there. Mm. Um, so upbeat, so engaging, yep. and again, I am so grateful to him for the amazing nuggets mm -hmm. of goodness that he shared and for bringing me back to my city vicariously. It was delightful. It was a fun thing to listen to. I, I loved it's, it. And if you saw her face, she just lights up. She loves it when she said, oh, where where were you? In, um, where did you live? And she says it and the other person knows it, knows her building by the store that was down below and she's like oh my god yeah that's exactly <sighs> if you're a new yorker you know i don't Anyhow, live there but whatever hey get out there stop being perfect and enjoy your life and don't forget to go confidently in the direction of your dreams Thanks for joining us this week on the Casa de Confidence podcast with Julie DeLuca Collins. Remember to check her out on Instagram and Facebook and always click subscribe to catch every new episode. Remember, leave a review so we can continue to bring you fresh content. And as always, go confidently in the direction of your Hi, everybody. 
I know that sometimes we get very lonely in this entrepreneur journey. And I want to invite you to join us into our limited time only purposeful you mastermind. For many of us entrepreneurs, we believe that we can do it all. But the reality is that doing it alone only creates a lot of overwhelm. So join us at the Purposeful You Mastermind. You can find out more information by going to bit.ly forward slash Julie's Mastermind. This is going to be the place where you are able to then unlock your full potential and achieve long-term success for your business push you behind your current limits, expand your connections, discover new ideas, and implement them with confidence. You're going to get the support in all aspects and transforming you to the six-figure business you've been looking for. Pause and get off the hamster wheel if you've been spinning around. This is a time where you can get that support from like-minded entrepreneurs that are here to join you in your journey. Together, we can challenge the assumptions and land the speaking engagements and opportunities we want to grow our business and make an impact in the lives of people. See you then. Remember, you can find the mastermind at bit.ly, Julie's Mastermind.